welcome listeners to another episode of Francis Watch. You actually, as I was preparing for this, I realized it's been almost two years since our last episode. And so there are some traditionalists, some converts, some Catholics who become set of a contest who've never heard a new episode of Francis Watch. They've just binged on the dozens that have been available due to the sponsorship of, of Novus Ordo Watch. This episode, having not come from that traditional cycle from Novus Ordo Watch, but just a one-off that we're doing together is today sponsored by the generous contribution of the Australian Catholic Mission. So they would like to ask for your prayers as they continue to grow the apostolate down there. For those of you who are unfamiliar uh, with this program, I'm the host, Stephen Heiner, and I'm joined by His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn. Hello, Your Excellency. Hello. And what we do is we normally go through pronouncements of Francis uh, and then His Excellency will, once he's dealt with the bile in, in his stomach from, from reading it, he'll then give a Catholic commentary. We used to do this a monthly, a long time ago with Father Chicada, God rest his soul. And then we moved to quarterly. And then as time went on, uh, His Excellency just pointed out, it's always the same stuff. But as we were preparing for today's episode, he was shocked, <laughs> and perhaps because it's been so long since we've done this Francis watch. So I think we're gonna we're gonna dive right in, Your Excellency, with a story that was on uh, Novus Ordo Watch in January of 2022, which goes. Uh, if you want to search for it, any of the articles that we're talking about today, you can just do a search on Novus Ordo Watch. is called Francis Unhinged. Is the the, the title of the article. He says, sisters and brothers, let us keep our gaze fixed on Jesus like those in the synagogue of Nazareth. They kept looking at him for he was one of them and asking, what is this novelty? What will he do this one about whom everyone is speaking? And let us embrace his word. Today, let us reflect on two interconnected aspects of this. The word reveals God and the word leads us to man. The word is at the center. It reveals God and leads us to man. In this way, he shows us the worship most pleasing to God, caring for our neighbor. We need to come back to this. Whenever in the church there are temptations to rigidity, which is a perversion, whenever we think that finding God means becoming more rigid, with more rules, right things, clear things, it is not the way. Yeah, well, first of all, we need to point out that the purpose of the enemies of the church for many centuries was to transform Catholicism into a dogmaless humanitarianism. And this was stated very clearly by Monsignor de la Suse around 1900 in a very famous book. It has panned out perfectly, you might say. This being that is in the inhabiting the Vatican apartments is incapable of saying anything supernatural, if you follow what he says. Uh, he's incapable of anything that, that even is remotely pious. It's all this man-centered business that the, the Catholic Church exists for man, and really all religion exists for man, and for making this world a better place to live in. He is socialist or communist, there's very little difference between those two things. And as you probably know, humanity is the center of communism's goal, you might say, in making a, a utopia for humanity. And we all know that it has flopped on its face 
with regard to making this utopia, and every place that it infects, it has become uh, uh, an economic disaster. So in any case, this is typical of what he's saying, that the purpose of the revelation of God is to, I mean, the Catholic doctrine is that, it, that we should worship God, we should uh, obey the commandments. Uh, that's the primary purpose of revelation, that we worship God. He's saying here that the primary purpose of revelation is that we should help our neighbor. The helping of our neighbor is something that is part of the commandment of God, but it must be done for God's sake. It must be done because God loves our neighbor, no matter how bad he should be. He loves our neighbor. He wants his conversion. He wants his conversion from sin and his conversion from heresy to the faith and to the obedience to the commandments. That's the Catholic doctrine. This is simply that we're supposed to be humanists, uh, that, that we, uh, you know, we have to be conscious of climate problems and, and recycling problems and all of the other things. We should be buying electric vehicles, etc., etc., to preserve the earth. Remember the Pachamama incident, the, the earth goddess. This man is, is not even remotely Christian. He is a pagan. And he is uh, doing what exactly uh, was predicted, and that is making the Catholic Church into an agency of humanitarianism without any dogmas whatsoever. And then he's talking about uh, caring for our neighbor, and then he gets into this, this ide fix that he has of rigidity. Rigidity means holding to the Catholic faith. That's the definition of rigidity saying that there are Catholic dogmas which cannot be compromised, saying that there must be continuity between the past and the present. That's rigidity. What does that have to do with caring for our neighbor? Did not many rigid people like St. Vincent de Paul and various other great saints devote their whole lives to alleviating the, the sufferings of the poor and the sick? History, the, the lives of the saints in history is filled with that filled with alleviation of the sufferings of the poor. It is one of the intentions of the Pope, when you pray for the intentions of the Pope at the end of a prayer that is indulgenced, the alleviation of the sufferings of the poor, as if there is some sort of battle or opposition between caring for one's neighbor in a supernatural way and for a supernatural motive and adhering to dogma, as if those two things are incompatible. And he says, it's a perversion. A perversion. That's about the worst thing you could get. Whenever we think that finding God means becoming more rigid, you cannot believe too much in, the, in Revelation. You cannot believe the dogmas of the Catholic faith too much. It's impossible. It, 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 faith has go no and, limitation. Go and, go and sin no more sounds pretty rigid to me, Your Excellency. That is extremely rigid. Uh, I am the Lord thy God, thou shalt not have strange gods before me. That's very, very rigid. Ordering the, the death of 23,000 people in Exodus for having worshipped a false god, that, that is very rigid, I think. Uh, why didn't he have a, an ecumenical service with the worshippers of the golden calf? <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. It's true. You know, it can be turned right against him. He is rigid. He is rigid in all of this 
this uh, mania that he has with regard to the traditional faith. Who is rigid here? He is rigid, and he is perverting the Catholic faith. So, so I mean, he, he's all turned around. He is, is imposing his dogma of humanitarianism as if it were the dogma of the Trinity. And he is condemning those who hold to the doctrine of the Trinity and the various other dogmas of the Catholic Church, transubstantiation, for example. He is condemning those as perverts. And he is just as rigid on his own perversion of the Catholic faith as any Catholic is with regard to his adherence to the faith. He is imposing a new religion, and he is uh, condemning. He's a very condemning person. He's condemning those who hold to the Catholic faith. That's all that means. Traditional Latin Mass. That's all evil to him. It's, it's wickedness, perversion. This is, you have to understand the man. I mean, he, he is fulfilling exactly what Monseigneur de la Suisse said would happen to the Catholic faith. He is fulfilling what the enemies of the church have longed for for centuries and decades. He is an enemy of God. Well, and it's not enough to attack the Christian faith. Actually, he wants to syncretize it with, with other religions. So the sermon we just referred to was in January of 2022. If we go back to, if we go forward to November of 2022, to a speech that Francis gave in Bahrain, he said, These days mark a precious stage in the journey of friendship that has intensified in recent years with various Islamic religious leaders, a fraternal journey that, beneath the gaze of heaven, seeks to foster peace on earth. Here in your presence, I wish to state once more that the God of peace never brings about war, never incites hatred, never supports violence. It's amusing to hear him speak of the God of peace to the Muslims, uh, Your Excellency. Yeah, well, as you know, George Bush said, it, it's a religion of peace, and uh, some might beg to differ. The Quran itself uh, uh, authorizes the killing of those who would in any way uh, oppose, the, uh, oppose Islam. Uh, kill them wherever you find them, it says in the, in the Quran. And to say that God, that he never brings about war, that is that he never, God never wills that a war should be fought. For example, the Crusades for the protection of the holy places in Jerusalem. Is that something evil? That uh, there, there is such a thing as a just war. There is such a thing as, as a war to, to protect the rights of the church uh, and to protect the, the faith of a nation. Of course there is. Uh, war is at times justified and necessary. It never incites hatred, if by hatred you mean that you hate someone's person. Uh, yes, it's true. God does not want us to hate anybody, but we must hate error. We must hate immorality. Those things we must hate. Never supports violence. Again, sometimes wars are necessary. Uh, wars of defense, uh, wars of, uh, you know, for example, the, the war uh, against the um, Mongols in the Middle Ages that were threatening Europe, uh, the war against the Till of the Hun. These things would have destroyed all Christendom. So it, war is occasionally necessary. And there's nothing wrong with a, uh, a just war. So it'd be wrong. He said, I have not come to bring peace but the sword. Uh, so, well, again, that sounds very rigid. You're that's extremely rigid, yes. Islamic religious leaders are our brothers because it's a fraternal journey. 
Yeah, they're 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 not our brothers. They they don't believe in the Holy Trinity. They don't believe in the divinity of Jesus Christ. It is a false religion. We pray for their conversion, uh, but it is not a a, a fraternity. I mean, there's no. Uh, they're not brothers in the faith or anything like that. You know, they, they just adhere to a different religion. A little earlier from those comments in November of 22 and in, in September of 2022, uh, in a visit to Kazakhstan, Francis said, Pope John Paul II, who visited Kazakhstan 21 years ago this very month, stated that for the church, all ways lead to man and that man is the way for the church. It's from Redemptor Hominis. I would like to say that today, man is also the way for all the religions. Oh, building on the foundations of JP2, he's taking us further, Your Excellency. Yes, you know, people think that JP2 was a great conservative. They think Ratzinger was a great conservative. They were both arch-modernists, just to let everyone know, arch-modernists. And uh, man is not the way for the church. The, the church obviously is concerned with man as primarily as he is a sinner. The church wants to convert the sinner primarily. That's everything about the, the church, its priesthood, its, its sacraments, its uh, uh, the, the grace that, that comes from the mass, etc., is for the conversion of sinners. Uh, uh, yes, it is also for the perfection of the just, but the church's aim is God. It is not man. In other words, it is to draw man to God. So the, the, it is not some sort of man-centered institution. It is, uh, its concern about man is as he is related to God and, ha- and to draw him to God. So it is a, a God-centered institution that seeks to draw men to God. That, that's that's uh, in the only way that, that it is concerned about human beings. But this is, again, a, a way of enlisting the church in this humanitarian idea in this one world uh, religion one world government idea which is uh, gaining more and more momentum as we even speak i just saw yesterday that the un is uh, seeking all sorts of uh, powers uh, in uh, international crises so it should have uh, the power to legislate whenever there's an international crisis like a pandemic or various other things that they might cook up. If they get that, that is going to be a very strong step toward the Antichrist. And we can see a lot of these these things congealing now into, into a single whole. That is, that religion has been dragged into this idea of, the, of one world under one uh, Antichrist. And, uh, and with it, the, the, the Catholic Church, you know, or, or the Novus Ordo, the, you know, the, the Novus Ordo error, has been dragged into that too. We have to understand, according to the sacred scripture, that we are, we are proceeding toward a period of Antichrist, and I think we're close to it, fairly close to it right now. And this is a sign of it. As you say, as part of preparing for Antichrist, as part of preparing for, let's say, greater cooperation amongst humanity, a year before, October of 2021, there was a roundtable meeting called Religions and Education Towards a Global Compact on Education. Francis had this to say, We are concerned to ensure an integral formation that can be summed up in knowledge of ourselves, our brothers and sisters, creation and the transcendent, we cannot fail to speak to young people about the truths that give meaning to life. What, what truths are those, Your Excellency? 
Well, it apparently is transgenderism, for one thing. Did you notice how that sort of blew up all of a sudden? That in schools, there was some sort of international agenda? All of a sudden, to indoctrinate kids with, with the praise of transgenderism and lesbianism and, and all forms of sodomy, and to instruct little, little toddlers in this stuff. It was, it just came out of the blue. Uh, there had to be some sort of central organization that was pushing all of this. All of a sudden, all of the schools in the world were pushing this agenda. I, I think it probably came from that. And this is what he means that, that we have to, you know, this is the idea of, uh, equality. See that, that everybody, it doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter, you know, what, what kind of sex you want to be or anything like that. It's all, we all are equal in the sense that we all have to respect each other's religions and, and, uh, orientations and, and various other, uh, things that we might consider tradition, we do consider erroneous and immoral. See, but that, that'll, uh, as you have to break down all of your objections to whatever anybody, uh, anybody else is doing, and that is the new religion. See, if you deny that, then you'll be crucified. Then you'll be, the, you'll, you'll be on the outs at the very least, and you might be put to death. As if you deny this, this ensemble religion, this uh, religion of all peoples and this openness to the transcendent and all of that garbage, you will be in trouble. You will get your head chopped off just like the, the people did in the, in the French Revolution. It's, it's very scary, but we know it's coming. We know from sacred scripture that it's coming, so we shouldn't, <laughs> we shouldn't get too worked up about it because uh, nothing that we do is going to preserve us from it. It is willed for the glory of God. And the only thing we can do is survive in our Catholic faith and prepare for those days. In contrast to this, we can see the comments of Pope Pius XI in 1929. It is therefore as important to make no mistake in education as it is to make no mistake in the pursuit of the last end, with which the whole work of education is intimately and necessarily connected. In fact, since education consists essentially in preparing man for what he must be and for what he must do here below in order to attain the sublime end for which he was created, it is clear that there can be no true education which is not wholly directed to man's last end, and that in the present order of providence, since God has revealed himself to us in the person of his only begotten Son, who alone is the way, the truth, and the life, there can be no ideally perfect education which is not Christian education. Yes, of course. Mm. So it's, again, it sounds rather rigid to me, oh. Your Excellency. Oh, it's just unbearably rigid. I'm being facetious, of course. But all of that is very, very true. And yes, education of the child is very much a part of his eternal salvation. Children are very susceptible to being formed, formed well or formed badly. And uh, they're like clay. And you can uh, do a great deal of damage to a child uh, by giving him uh, a, a bad education. So there was a, a World Day of Peace message, Your, Your Excellency, and this was uh, in December of 2022. Francis said, Today we are being asked, what did we learn from the pandemic? 
What new paths should we follow to cast off the shackles of our old habits, to be better prepared, to dare new things? What signs of life and hope can we see to help us move forward and try to make our world a better place? Certainly, after directly experiencing the fragility of our own lives and the world around us, we can say that the greatest lesson we learned from COVID-19 was the realization that we all need one another. That our greatest and yet most fragile treasure is our shared humanity as brothers and sisters, children of God, and that none of us can be saved alone. Consequently, we urgently need to join together in seeking and promoting the universal values that can guide the growth of this human fraternity. We also learned that the trust we put in progress, technology, and the effects of globalization was not only excessive, but turned into an individualistic and idolatrous intoxication, compromising the very promise of justice, harmony, and peace that we so ardently sought. In our fast-paced world, the widespread problems of inequality, injustice, poverty, and marginalization continue to fuel unrest and conflict and generate violence and even wars. Oh gosh, where do you begin with that? The, the only thing we learned from the pandemic apparently is that uh, it was a manufactured virus in some sort of Chinese laboratory uh, and somehow, <gasps> well, it's becoming more and more apparent. <laughs> I mean that's even being in. Well, you know, you're actually that was that was remember that was a conspiracy theory even after the 47th booster. <laughs> yeah. But I mean that's becoming uh, even common knowledge now. I mean even the Congress discovered that. You know, I mean, and also you know you have to when when uh, Bill Gates was talking about a pandemic in October of uh, 2019, uh, and then we get hit with that in December of 2019. Uh, you you have to ask certain questions. I mean, this, how did he know that there was going to be a pandemic in October of 2019? Well, almost like it was planned, Your Excellency. Almost like it was planned, you know? And I, I think precisely uh, what he's expressing here is the object of that whole pandemic, is that the whole world has to come together and... Uh, fight this thing and we're all one and we're all affected by it and it was a terrible emergency uh, people give up their rights uh, whenever there's an emergency you know, whenever there's a war there's a some sort of terrible thing that happens a flood or anything people easily give up their rights and many times don't get them back and I think this is not the last of these world emergencies. I think we're going to see more world emergencies uh, of different types. And uh, there will be uh, another uh, sort of, uh, how would you say, uh, an attempt or, or maybe success in having people give up their rights and having them have a more global consciousness, so to speak, you see. I think this is what he's getting at in this. Uh, and of course, you know, the the widespread problems of inequality, injustice, poverty, and marginalization. Well, what, where is that? <laughs> Why, where are people treated unequally? Uh, where is their injustice? If you don't work, you don't make money. See that, and and Saint Paul said that he who does not work should not eat. Well, first of all, our Lord said, the poor you will always have with you. But in this day and age, especially with the 
opportunities that technology has afforded, it is very easy to make money. This, this, much more so than a hundred years ago or two hundred years ago, I and mean, people were were poor farmers even in advanced countries like Europe. But you see, this is communism. In other words, nobody should have more money than anybody else. And if you have more money than somebody else, then you're bad. You're evil. You should feel guilty because you have more money than the person that uh, is, uh, you know, deprived. And many times, and you know, it's many times, if not most times, they are deprived because they're not working. Uh, there was uh, a woman that went into a Target the other day and bought about a thousand dollars worth of, or, or brought about a thousand dollars worth of stuff to check out, and she said, "This should be paid by reparations." <laughs> <laughs> so she wanted the store to bless all of her stuff and and let her walk off with a thousand dollars worth of stuff in the uh, under the title of reparations. Well, she, to make a long story short, she started to get a little, you know, uneasy and, and uh, testy. And uh, she was um, uh, punched by the security guards. So <laughs> well, I thought a, you were going to tell me that they, they gave it to her because they didn't want to get in trouble. It, no. But could you imagine the, the, I mean, this is how, this is the mentality now that I'm owed this because I, you know, my ancestors, my great, 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 great grandfather or something was brought over from Africa. And the ones that should pay were the ones that originally enslaved them in West Africa. They are the, if anybody should pay because they enslaved those people first and there were black slave traders selling them to the white slave traders in West Africa. So they were already slaves before they got on the boat. And I'm not justifying it in any way whatsoever. That, that was a scandal. But nonetheless, if you're going to say someone should pay, it should be the, the slave traders from West Africa. And what is causing the division is the left and attitudes like this that look at all of this terrible situation we're in and people are oppressed and 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 uh, and they're, they're not treated properly, etc. That that is stirring up hatred, instead of trying to put people together and and making people live decently together, even if they are different. In my opinion, the black race has, in my own lifetime, made tremendous advances in, you might say. Uh, being assimilated into American society when, when before they were generally marginalized, you might say. But now they're being stirred up again. Why don't they just follow this path of becoming very, very assimilated and, and respected? There's so many of them who have very good jobs and who do their work perfectly, etc. I mean, that is... It's, it's, they are just stirring up now this, 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 the left is. This, they are the ones that are marginalizing and telling people uh, you're oppressed and, and you know, the, the, the evil white people and all of this. That's just going to cause wars. It's going to cause all sorts of unrest as we've seen it already. It is the left that is causing the wars. It is not the right. It is the left. And uh, that marginalization and that uh, stirring up, you might say, of the left is is a uh, sort of a nest or a condition for socialism. That's that's uh, you know class warfare. 
as a condition for the imposition of socialism. And the, the, the reign of the Antichrist must come with socialism. It, it cannot come in any other way. I do think we're going to, uh, I'm, as all, I always say to the seminarians, I am glad that I'm 73 because I, I think there's going to be some hard times in the next few decades. Well, who, who knows, Your Excellency, our Lord may let you live to see them. <laughs> well, uh, it's, uh, yeah, let's, we'll see what happens. But uh, uh, it's, it's, it, there are some very, very disquieting developments in certainly in this country and I think in the world. Well, more disquieting developments are Bergoglio continuing to just, you could say, justify Luther, if I might use the phrase. In August of 2021, he was at an audience in which he said, The commandments exist, but they do not justify us. What makes us just is Jesus Christ. The commandments must be observed, but they do not give us justice. There is the gratuitousness of Jesus Christ, the encounter with Jesus Christ that freely justifies us. The merit of faith is receiving Jesus. The only merit opening the heart. And what do we do with the commandments? We must observe them, but as an aid to the encounter with Jesus Christ. No, this is pure Lutheranism. This means that your uh, your, your internal, um, how would you say, relationship with Christ, which he, he, is, he calls faith, which is a typical modernist notion of faith, is what justifies us, and that the commandments... Uh, yes, should be observed, but they're secondary. You see, the uh, and but your your faith in in a modernist sense, your encounter with Jesus Christ is the justifying thing. Now, the Catholic Church would say that you are justified by the grace of Christ. It is true, but you must, of course, believe in Him by an act of faith, which means assent to His teachings, and also that you have the virtue of charity, that is, love of God primarily. If you lose charity, you are not justified. So you might still have the faith, but you are not justified. Justification means that you are in the state of sanctifying grace. You see, he avoids all of that. Justification for him is just Lutheran, that you throw yourself on the Lord, and you, you have this relationship with the Lord and all of that stuff. Uh, and that the commandments are, are yes, they're there, you know, and, and, but uh, uh, you don't have to get too concerned about them, you know. The observance of the commandments is what keeps us in the state of grace. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, our Lord said. He didn't say, you'll have an encounter with me. He said, you will keep my commandments. And the immortal sin separates us from Christ and makes us liable to hell. That's the Catholic doctrine. Uh, this is just pure Protestantism. September of 2021, he gave an in-flight press conference in Slovakia. The good Lord will save everyone. Do not say this aloud, laughing, but the Lord wants to save everyone. Well, St. Paul did say in Timothy that God wills the salvation of all men, but that is to be understood in the same way that a teacher wills or wants uh, all the students to pass but that is dependent upon their exams you see but his what we call antecedent will is that everyone pass he would like to see everyone go through and pass 
So the same is true of God. He has an antecedent will that all men should be saved, but his consequent will, that means viewing their uh, the state of their souls, their obedience to the, to the commandments or disobedience to the commandments, in view of that, he either wills them to be saved or wills them to be damned. In other words, if they die guilty of mortal sin, he condemns them to hell. You see, So first he says the good Lord will save everyone, then he qualifies it, but the Lord wants to save everyone. I, I don't see how that escapes heresy, given the first uh, statement. And he, said, he has said things like this before, too. The good Lord will save everyone. And remember, he said that uh, everyone goes to heaven unless you're, like, you're really, really bad, and then you just get annihilated. So uh, there's no hell. There's no, you know, there's no hell. So he denied hell, and also he also said that God annihilates creatures, which is at least an error if it's not a heresy. So we had referenced uh, Pius XI when we were talking about the end of education. So in contrast to this, we'll also quote from Pius IX from Singulari Quadam. We have learned with grief that another error, not less melancholy, is introduced into certain parts of the Catholic world and has taken possession of the souls of many Catholics. Carried away with a hope for the eternal salvation of those who are out of the true Church of Christ, they do not cease to inquire with solicitude what shall be the fate and the condition after death of men who are not submissive to the Catholic faith. Seduced by vain reasoning, they make to these questions replies conformly to that perverse doctrine of indifferentism. Far from us, venerable brothers, to lay claim to put limits to the divine mercy, which is infinite. Far from us to scrutinize the counsels and mysterious judgments of God, unfathomable depth where human thought cannot penetrate. But it belongs to the duty of our apostolic office to excite your episcopal solicitude and vigilance to make all possible efforts to remove from the minds of men the opinion, as impious as it is fatal, according to which people can find in any religion the way of eternal salvation. Employ all the resources of your minds and of your learning to demonstrate to the people committed to your care that the dogmas of the Catholic Church are in no respect contrary to the divine mercy and justice. Faith orders us to hold out of the apostolic Roman Church no person can be saved. That is, that it is the only ark of salvation, and that whoever will not enter therein shall perish in the waters of the deluge. Boy, these, these pre-Vatican II uh, pontiffs are actually extremely rigid. Oh, just steeped in rigidity. <laughs> now, this should tell anyone that there has been a uh, substantial change in religion and that if there has been a st uh, this change in religion and if it has been promulgated by Bergoglio and his bishops, etc., that they cannot be what they claim to be, that is, the true hierarchy of the Catholic Church. They don't have the power to rule the church. They have their uh, elections and their appointments, etc., but they are incapable of ruling the Catholic Church because they don't have the power from God to do so. But that's a whole other subject. But the average person should see the Novus Ordo religion as just bogus. It's bogus Catholicism. It's not true Catholicism. It's, it's just a an invention of modernists that is being imposed as if it were Catholicism. They are using the Catholic brand to impose this false religion, which is unheard of in, in the whole history of the church. Most heretics had at least the, the decency to leave the church, but the, these heretics want to use the Catholic brand in order to poison the whole flock. 
In September of 2021, we have more uh, talking from Francis about justification at a general audience. How does justification happen? Responding to this question means discovering another novelty in St. Paul's teaching, that justification comes through grace, only through grace. We are justified because of pure grace. But can't I, can't someone go to the judge and pay so that he can justify me? No, you cannot pay for this. Someone paid for all of us, Christ, and from Christ who died for us comes that grace that the Father gives to everyone. Justification comes through grace. Justification through faith underlines the priority of the grace that God offers without distinction to those who believe in his Son. And justification is precisely the, seek, thus God's greatest nearness with us, men and women, God's greatest compassion for us men and women, the greatest tenderness of the Father. Justification is this gift of Christ, of the death and resurrection of Christ that makes us free. But Father, I am a sinner, I have robbed. Yes, yes, but fundamentally, you are just. <laughs> Allow Christ to effect that justification. We are not fundamentally condemned. No, we are just. <laughs> well, this again is Lutheranism. Um, it is true that justification comes through grace. That's true. We are justified through sanctifying grace. The, there must be predispositions for it. In other words, faith which is assent to Catholic dogma, and uh, the beginning, what we call the beginning of the love of God, and but you must be moved by actual grace to that. That's all true. But here, the, and he, he's worded this in such a way that the error passes very easily, uh, which is the Protestant error, and that is that we are uh, all saved, we are all justified, no matter what we do, even if we should rob, you know, or do other hard things, we're all justified. Uh, we remain just even when we are sinners. That's all Protestant. That Christ has paid the bill, and we don't have to worry about it anymore. That's uh, all entirely Protestant. Uh, and uh, and that the observance of the commandments then is something that is secondary or congruous. The the most Protestants would say it's congruous with the um, with the uh, justification that you have received. Uh, it's something that you ought to do is is but you might have a fall from time to time but you know you're still you're still connected to Christ even though you might fall mortally into sin that's all pure Protestantism so I mean he's learned that out of the Luther's Catechism that's all there is you could say about it but he's worded it in such a way cleverly in such a way as to uh, not come out and be so explicit about the heresy in February of 2022, uh, Bergoglio gave a sermon in which he said, Let us consider, dear brothers and sisters, that in Christ, no one can ever truly separate us from those we love because the bond is an existential bond, a strong bond that is in our very nature. Only the manner of being together with one another then changes, for, but nothing and no one can break this bond. Father, let's think about those who have denied the faith, who are apostates, who are the persecutors of the church, who have denied their baptism. Are these also at home? Yes, these two, all of them. The blasphemers, all of them. We are brothers. This is the community of saints. The communion of saints holds together the community of believers on earth and in heaven and on earth, the saints, the sinners, all. Well, 
I guess it's not the communion of saints anymore, Your Excellency. No, it's quite a mishmash. We could we could put a slash the communion of saints slash sinners. Yes. <laughs> Notice that uh, in Christ, no one can ever truly separate us from those we love. That mean natural love, like uh, people who are living in fornicatory concubinage, because the bond is an is an existential bond. Now that that word existential is so stupid. Uh, the what do you mean by existential? But I think it means it exists. A strong bond that is in our very nature. Notice nature. See that so therefore it's not a supernatural bond. We're not talking about supernatural charity that might bind us to a sinner because we must love even sinners by supernatural charity. And it's not a bond because it's a one-way street. As when someone is separated from from Christ through mortal sin, he has no bond with Christ and therefore no bond. A bond goes both ways. It's a two-sided thing. He has no bond with someone who is in the state of grace. Nonetheless, we are bound to uh, have charity toward them and seek their conversion back to, to the state of grace. So this is all mixed up. First of all, he's saying that this is a natural bond and that denying the faith, apostasy, persecuting the church, denying your baptism, that this does not separate you from Christ. This does not in any way break that bond between you and Christ and between you and other Catholics. See, you're all part of the communion of saints, even though you're sinners. The thing doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It's like a lunatic Apostates, speaking. persecutors of the church, blasphemers, we're all together, Your Excellency. You know who is not is the rigid. Notice he doesn't <laughs> mention the rigid. They are out. They are evil. <laughs> they are perverts. You see? <laughs> it's, he, he's naturalizing all of, of Christ's doctrine. Well, and, and he's, re, he's redefining these terms. So if communion of saints includes sinners as well, I mean, it's not really communion of saints. And How about Hitler? Angelus address. How about Hitler? <laughs> well, according the... to this, Your Excellency, he's there too. Okay. He's there too. Stalin and Mao and uh, all of these other uh, you know, excellent people that lived in history, you know, or the, you know, being facetious. You know, there's all of these great sinners that murdered many, many people. Hitler is, is uh, supposed to have murdered 6 million and Stalin anywhere between 20 and 60 million and Mao Zedong something like 30 million. I think that's the, those are the... So are they in the communion of, of saints or sinners or, or it's one big happy communion? They, Hitler I mean, it was seems a baptized like we, Catholic. we can hope so here. He was a baptized Catholic, Hitler was. And probably Stalin was validly baptized. I don't think Mao mm. was though. So I think that, you know, they, they got the, the bond, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm being sarcastic and facetious. But just to show the well, absurdity of what he's saying. Right. And as you know, this is, this is changing the terms. If, if the communion of saints can be reconfigured to include all of these people, then baptism can also be reconfigured. And this is something that he gives in an Angelus address in December of 2022. He says, when was I baptized? Because that day is the day of the great grace of a new life beginning, of an original grace that we have. God descended into our lives that day, and we became his beloved children forever. This is our original beauty. 
for which to be joyful. Well, you're a child of God if you are in the state of sanctifying grace because you share in the nature of God by sanctifying grace. In a broad sense, you can say the whole human race is the children of God in a very broad sense, in the sense that they're his creatures. But if you are in the state of mortal sin, you are not a child of God in the strict sense of the term. He does not share his nature with you in sanctifying grace by the very definition. But again, this idea is that we're baptized and we're going to heaven. We're going to be children of God no matter what we do. We're going to be in the communion of saints no matter what we do. And uh, it's the same old theme. So in March of 2022, Bergoglio was making some comments at the Angelus address regarding the war in Ukraine. And he said, so many children and fragile people are left to die under the bombs without being able to receive help and find safety even in the air raid shelters. All this is inhuman. Indeed, it is also sacrilegious because it goes against the sacredness of human life, especially against defenseless human life, which must be respected and protected, not eliminated. And this comes before any strategy. Let us not forget it is inhuman and sacrilegious cruelty. Now, interestingly, your seat, uh, last March was also uh, a month in which you and I recorded a um, video for Roman Catholic media in which you commented on the war in Ukraine, in which you noticed it's unjust to invade a country, whatever the context Russia might have had. But I didn't hear you say anything about the sacrilegious murders of these children. Uh, did you did you omit something there, Your Excellency? <laughs> no, this is all part of divinizing humanity. So humanity becomes a god, so to take a human life unjustly, however evil that is, is not a sacrilege. Well, in, in the, in the human, humanistic religion, it becomes sacrilege because humanity is sacred. It is the god. So in ordinary Catholic theology, that is a sin of injustice, a very serious sin to take someone's life uh, an innocent life is a grave injustice, but it is not a sacrilege. Sacrilege can only be accomplished against sacred things. That is, if you de desecrated the Blessed Sacrament or desecrated a chalice uh, or a church or something like that, something that has a direct relationship to God. But the, the bombing and killing of human beings, however heinous that is, is not sacrilegious. But if you believe that humanity is God, then it becomes sacrilegious. And he believes humanity is God. So that's why he uses that term. Those might remember that last year, 2022, Bergoglio went to Canada and uh, went a, did a bit of a Native American apology tour. And he spoke about the idea of a paganism of thought. We must take the origin as a reference, not a particular historical experience taken as a perpetual model, as if we had to stop there. Yesterday it was done like this becomes it has always been done like this. But this is a paganism of thought. <laughs> Be before he said that, he said that um, someone once said that tradition is the living memory of believers. Traditionalism instead is the dead life of our believers. Traditionalism is their dead memory. Well, that could be turned against them with regard to the Native Americans. Who is more, <laughs> you know, who is holding up their traditions more against Christianity than Native Americans? 
all of their traditions of eating their enemies and cutting their hearts out and of running around naked and fornication and adultery galore, uh, all of their traditions of medicine men and uh, concocting uh, meetings with the devil, etc., etc. Those are very ancient traditions of those people. And the, the accusation is that the missionaries came and overturned their traditions. So which is it, Bergoglio? <laughs> is, is, are the traditions of the Native Americans uh, paganism of thought? No, oh no, those are sacred as could be. Those must, must never be disturbed. Uh, it, is, it is, he's referring to proselytism, that missionaries should be sent to these peoples who are laboring in these various errors and immorality and uh, show them the true faith. See, that's evil. That is the, the depths of evil. Uh, and that's paganism in thought that we should in some way point out to them that Christ is the savior of all men and that uh, he founded a church and that in order to be saved, you need to join that church. That is just so evil. Rather, we should leave them in their various traditions. Yeah, one might say a paganism of action as opposed to simply a paganism of thought, Your Excellency. All right, that, that's the whole point is that that Oh, you came and, and disturbed our traditions, you know, our sacred traditions. My goodness, sacred. <laughs> All sorts of superstitions about nature and uh, just people laboring under, under every error under the sun. And, and you know, that, that again denies all of the history of the church. The whole missionary effort of the Catholic Church was to go out and preach the gospel. Preach, <laughs> our Lord said, to go to the whole world and preach the gospel. You know, does it take a brain to figure this out? In in December of 2021, there was an address to the Roman Curia at Christmas, and Bergoglio did not speak about the Christ child, but instead about, you guessed it, Your Excellency, rigidity. Oh, yes. This is the dangerous temptation, as I have said on other occasions, of a spiritual worldliness that, unlike all other temptations, is hard to unmask. For it is concealed by everything that usually reassures us, our role, the liturgy, doctrine, religious devotion. We call this the sin of habria quiesmo, like spiritual masters and pastoral experts who give instructions from on high. The proud, on the other hand, simply repeat, they grow rigid. Rigidity is a perversion, a present day perversion, and enclose themselves in that repetition. Feeling certain about what they know and fearful of anything new because they cannot control it, they feel destabilized. The clericalism that, as a temptation, a perverse temptation, daily spreads in our midst, makes us keep thinking of a God who speaks only to some, while the others must only listen and obey. There's no perversion for the who am I to judge crowd. No. But if you're interested in liturgy, doctrine, and religious devotion, you are guilty of a present-day perversion, Your Excellency. Yes, yes. The the uh, you know the, the rainbow crowd has they have no insistence on their doctrines, none at all. They're very open. <laughs> you see, but the perversion is those who insist on their doctrines, namely those that have been revealed by God and which have been taught by the Catholic Church since its beginning. And they feel destabilized. You feel dis destabilized 
Do you feel that every day when you, you know, when you wake up in the morning, destabilized by the fact that you are, you know, facing a false religion around you and uh, the newness? Does that destabilize you? No, of course not. It makes you angry. That's <laughs> what it does. I don't feel, I never felt destabilized by the Catholic religion, not for a single time. Actually, I think that Novus Ordo is feeling destabilized, in my opinion. I think that's why he's, he's repeating this constantly. He's got it on his brain. It's like, uh, it's an E-Day fix on the brain. Mm. They are destabilized by the fact that they are not attracting young people, whereas the traditional mass in whatever form it's in, adult or fraternity of St. Peter, SSPX, ourselves, any form of it is attracting young people. Their churches are emptying out. Their religious houses are emptying out. Their seminaries are practically non-existent. They, they're consolidating churches, shutting others down. I see them come up on, on the internet for sale, these big, beautiful churches in good areas. It's, it's a dying religion. And I think they are destabilized. And I think that's why he is attacking it all the time because he sees the handwriting on the wall for the Novus Ordo. And that this, this movement against the Novus Ordo is something that is a fly in the ointment with regard to the, uh, the, the, the big one world religion. That this is, this is uh, something that has to be crushed. I mean, even though it's a very tiny percentage of those who would claim the name Catholic, nonetheless, it is something that, that he has a, a particular hatred for. Uh, and it has to be crushed. And uh, I think they are the ones that are destabilized. Uh, I don't know of any traditional Catholic that is in any way destabilized or that they, they are fearful of something they cannot control. <laughs> it's the most stupid comment that he could possibly make. And he's made a many, many, many stupid comments. But uh, he absolutely doesn't even know what they're talking about. He never even listens to these destabilized people. All he does is condemn them and hate them. He's full of hate. He's a man of hate. And clericalism, well, that, that, means, that means a hierarchy that teaches and rules the faithful and sanctifies them. That's clericalism. They teach dogmas that you must adhere to. That's clericalism. That they make laws that you must adhere to. That's clericalism. You see, that's, that's evil. Look at the German bishops who are blessing, you know, sodomitic unions and who are saying all sorts of, it was just a German theologian that gave a talk in Passau uh, saying that uh, the, the Gospels don't contain any condemnation of sodomy. He didn't use the word sodomy, but as if the condemnation is in St. Paul in Romans 1 has no value whatsoever. It's just the Gospels didn't. And the reason for that is that the Jews had a detestation for that. They considered it an abomination. Our Lord had no reason to condemn that, whereas St. Paul was speaking to the Romans, who you might describe as debauchery incorporated. The Romans were so debauched that it defies description. And every sort of uh, perversion they, they uh, engaged in. Uh, including the Emperor Tiberius, who can ultimately condemn Christ to death. They li lived filthy, filthy, filthy lives of every kind of perversion. 
And that's why St. Paul addressed it right in the first epistle, the first chapter of that epistle to the Romans. He also addressed it in, in other, in the Corinthians uh, as well. And uh, uh, he was up against a pagan world. But the Jews never, the reason why they spurned the pagans so much is precisely because they did those things, because they were so debauched. Uh, and so there was no reason for our Lord to bring it up. The problem with the Jews was their, the Pharisees, for example, was their pride. That's why he addressed that all the time. Speaking about the Jews and St. Paul, uh, Your Excellency, it seems that they were destabilized by certain remarks uh, of Francis, uh, August the 11th Wednesday Catechesis in 2021. He commented that in St. Paul's letter to the Galatians, that the Mosaic law of the Old Covenant is not capable of giving supernatural life to the soul. And the chief rabbi of Israel complained about this, and Francis responded, This is simply a catechesis on the word of God expressed in the letter of St. Paul to the Galatians. Nothing else. This must always be kept in mind. In the coming days, the Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah, will be celebrated. And then the two feasts of Yom Kippur and Sukkot. I extend my heartfelt good wishes to all my brothers and sisters of the Jewish religion. May the new year be rich in fruits of peace and good for those who walk faithfully in the Lord's law, which is not capable of giving supernatural life to the soul. That was that was my addition there. <laughs> the end, Your Excellency. Yes, well, St. Paul precisely was writing to the Galatians because there was a group of Judaizers there who were making a lot of trouble. And that's why he addressed that. They wanted the Galatians to observe the old law. And St. Paul again and again in practically every epistle says the old law is dead it, it no longer has the capability of sanctifying it is finished and uh it is as clear as could be now notice this is simply a catechesis catechesis means a teaching on the word of god the word of god expressed in the letter of saint paul inspired doctrine inspired text of St. Paul. So it's really the Holy Ghost that is saying this to the Galatians. Nothing else. <laughs> How do you say all that? And then say all of this, that, that they, those who walk faithfully in the Lord's law. The law for the Jews means the Mosaic law, which St. Paul says is finished and cannot give grace. What shall we say about it? It's so bad that it doesn't really need any explanation that it is as blasphemous as it is stupid it is doesn't he see the stupidity of what he's saying what doesn't he look at it on paper and say this this is completely insane well he, he wasn't quite sure what to do so he outsourced it to cardinal kurt Koch, who commented to save him he said the phrase the law does not give life it does not offer the fulfillment of the promise should not be extrapolated from its context but must be considered within the overall framework of Pauline theology. The abiding Christian conviction is that Jesus Christ is the new way of salvation. However, this does not mean that the Torah is diminished or no longer recognized as the way of salvation for Jews. Yeah, that's a blasphemous heresy. That's a blasphemous heresy. To say that there is a way of salvation outside of the blood of Christ is a blasphemous heresy. You, you could not, I, I don't think there would be a greater way to slap the crucified Christ in the face than to say that. 
There is no one exempt from the redemption of Christ, no path of salvation outside of that which Christ has given, which is his mystical body, the Holy Catholic Church. That is a dogma of faith. This is a heresy. And it's, it's an insulting heresy. And to re reduce the sacred and infallible word of God to Pauline theology, as if, you know, that's his opinion, and that's uh, you know, as if he was read, writing a dogma book or something and this is, was expressing an opinion about this. That also is, is heretical. It's modernist. It's, it reeks and stinks of modernism. That horrid heresy condemned as the worst thing that ever uh, attacked the Catholic Church. As if Pauline theology is not Catholic theology, and, right. you know, St. Paul, he was, he was just a theologian. He had some ideas, Your Excellency. Right, you know, and, you know, he was hung up on this. And, you know, and, and uh, after all, you know, he, he converted from Judaism and therefore he had this uh, interior, you might say, hatred for Judaism. And uh, but that was displaced or misplaced, I should say. Uh, and, you know, so we shouldn't take it too seriously. That's the implication of that. He felt bad about persecuting the church, so he, he really had a <laughs> strong reaction. Well, I mean, this is this is the party line very famously uh, for those uh, in America who follow this gentleman named Bish, so-called Bishop Robert Barron, appeared on the Ben Shapiro show, and who is an Orthodox Jew, and he told Shapiro that our Lord is merely the privileged route to salvation. You could say it's the, the paved road, Your Excellency, but there's other other roads to get there. And so this is very much the, the party line. And there's also a, a, a quote from uh, a so-called Monsignor Guarino in a text called The Disputed Teachings of Vatican II, Continuity and Reversal in Catholic Doctrine. I mean, the title tells you everything you need to know. But he says, in response, I agree with Father Francis Sullivan, who for a variety of reasons speaks of the very limited doctrinal authority of the Florentine Decree which in fact was a decree of union with an instruction for the Coptic Church. While formally belonging to an ecumenical council, this statement, Sullivan notes, is neither defined nor dogmatic teaching. In the case of Florence, then, one may speak of its glaring discontinuity with the teaching of Vatican II, but not of a reversal of a doctrinal landmark of a permutatio fide. You imagine, you see, um, in the case of Florence, one may speak of its glaring discontinuity with the teaching of Vatican II. Isn't it ironic that they look back on the previous teaching of the church uh, or the true teaching of the church and say there's discontinuity there from Vatican II? <laughs> <laughs> I have to order that book. I'm, uh, thank you for yeah, th that. Was, that would be a, a real laugh, that book. Because it, it, that, that Vatican II is upholding, well, I don't even know how to describe it. I mean, there is such a mountain of evidence against Vatican II in the previous teaching that for them to come out and say that, that, well, I, I just can't, I can't put my mind around it. But let's find out. Let me read from Florence, okay? The Council of Florence, an ecumenical council under the Pope. The, referring to the, uh, the council, let's see. The subject of the sentence is the sacrosanct Roman Church, founded by the voice of our Lord and Savior, firmly believes, etc. Then it, referring to that, 
firmly believes, professes, and proclaims that those not living within the Catholic Church, not only pagans, but also Jews and heretics and schismatics, cannot become participants in eternal life, but will depart into everlasting fire, which was prepared for the devil and his angels. Matthew 25, 41. Unless before the end of life the same have been added to the flock, and that the unity of the ecclesiastical body is so strong that only to those remaining in it are the sacraments of the church of benefit for salvation and do fastings, almsgivings, and other functions of piety and exercises of Christian service produce eternal reward, and that no one, whatever almsgiving he has practiced, even if he has shed blood for the name of Christ, can be saved unless he has remained in the bosom and unity of the Catholic Church. That is not a solemn declaration of an ecumenical council. The sacrosanct Roman Church firmly believes, professes, and, and proclaims. That is the typical language of a solemn statement. This man is living in a dream world to say that that is not a solemn statement of Florence. That he's blaming Florence for a discontinuity with Vatican II. Vatican, <laughs> the, the ecumenism of Vatican II was condemned by Mortalium Animos. It was condemned by Pius IX. It was condemned by various other Roman pontiffs. He, they're living in a, in a crazy, superficial dream world, to say something as idiotic as that. For those of you who want to follow along with what His Excellency was referring to, that's Cantate Domino. And you, if you have uh, access to Denzinger at home or online, it's 714 if you want to look that up yourself. But even beyond this, Your Excellency, it, it, we, we knew from the very first time that we met Bergoglio when you and I and Father Chicada did an episode on his election, that he's very friendly with the so-called chosen people. And there is a photo of him December of 2022, just a few months ago, blowing a shofar. Uh, this is, a, I suppose, his kiss the Quran moment. Bergoglio received at the Vatican a delegation from the Marshall T. Meyer Latin American Rabbinical Seminary located in Buenos Aires. It was on that occasion that the seminary rector, R Rabbi Ariel Stoffenmacher, brought a shofar as a gift, and of course Francis promptly decided to try it out. The purpose of the visit was described by Vatican News as being a collaborative project between the Holy See and the Jewish Seminary to renew formation in that region from a common spiritual perspective. The greater intention is to transform lay and religious leaders into agents of social change. Oh, of course, there we go again. Break down dogma and uh, be leaders and agents of social change. That means socialist change. Put an ist on there and you've got the whole thing. Yes, it's to enlist uh, modernist Jews into the same, the same uh, humanitarianism, dogmaless humanitarianism. Uh, that's all it is. It's it's uh, same old, same old. We have, Yorksley, I, I, I bet you didn't know there was such a thing as World Mountain Day. No. This was in December, December of 2022. And Bergoglio decided to make a pronouncement because what else do you do on World Mountain Day? Today is World Mountain Day, which invites us to recognize the importance of this marvelous resource for the life of the planet and of humanity. The theme this year, Women Move Mountains, it is true women move mountains, reminds us of the role of women in caring for the environment and in safeguarding the traditions of mountain populations. 
For mountain people, we learn the sense of community and of walking together. Oh, gosh. It's just so stupid. I don't know even what I could say about this. The, the, uh, the safeguarding the traditions of mountain populations. So I thought safeguarding traditions was something perverse. It was a perversion. See, but here he's, he's praising this, and these people, these women are caring for the environment, of course, which is a sacred thing, the environment. You know, I just noticed, just as a, as a footnote, ironically, a, in Indiana, there was a recycling center that caught on fire and is going to burn for three days in this huge <laughs> cloud of smoke you know, that is undoing all of any good that the recycling would have done. Also, I also read that even Greenpeace says that the recycling of plastics is a dead-end street. I think that's a quote. That, that there is no uh, possibility of really um, succeeding in recycling plastics because it's much, much cheaper to make new plastic than it is to use recycled plastic. But the, that the only things that could be recycled is tin, like tin cans, beer cans, for example, uh, or paper. So that's just a, a footnote. But the, uh, I just thought, isn't that, I mean, if you saw the cloud of black smoke going into the air, think of all that plastic in there and everything uh, that will burn for three days. Well, I'm just imagining the tears of, of Greta Thunberg, Your, your Excellency, <laughs> yeah. just dr- drowning in those tears. Uh, I, I, a footnote to your footnote, for anyone who goes back and looks at this further, I think, Uh, James Corbett or someone else had done some work on this, but the original people who pushed recycling of plastics was the oil industry because they wanted to make sure that they didn't get a bad name for destroying the earth. So they said, hey, you can just recycle this stuff. And then these warehouses would just uh, be places where people could burn the trash later later on. But uh, recycling is, is one of the old time scams particularly of plastics. As you say, paper, and there's there's other things that can be recycled with, with less effort, but plastic's one of the, the least uh, recyclable mediums. Yes, yes. Well, that's what even, according to this article, Greenpeace said, that it's a dead-end street. And uh, so, but the uh, but again, that's all part of the paganism of the Novus Ordo, is the environment, the climate, the earth, all of this. It's, it's all, it, somebody sat down and thought all of this up. And these are the new dogmas that we are supposed to imbibe from the Novus Ordo. Uh, and it's, it's just all a lot of preparation for Antichrist as far as I'm concerned. Yes, Rockefeller, Soros, all the, uh, all of the old reliables. Yes. Well, this takes us all the way up to January of 2023. So for our listeners, just reminding you, if you want to hear more Francis Watch, there's 47 previous episodes of this. This is episode number 48. And we've tried to cover the last two years since uh, our la- uh, His Excellency and I's last episode was on Tradiciones Custodes, which His Excellency noted should have LOL at the end of it uh, to, <laughs> for how you, should, uh, how you should look at the document. But we'll end with a January 2023 pronouncement. Uh, and so as a, a through theme for today's episode, and I would say, as His Excellency referred to, an ide fix for Bergoglio's non-pontificate. We need to put Jesus in contact with the people without convincing them, but allowing the Lord to do the convincing. For as Pope Benedict taught us, the church does not engage in proselytism. Instead, she grows by attraction. Don't forget this. When you see Christians proselytizing, 
making a list of people to come, these are not Christians. They are pagans disguised as Christians, but the heart is pagan. The church grows not by proselytism. It grows by attraction. What do you think of that, Your Excellency? Going, therefore, teach ye all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And those who do not believe shall be condemned. That's all I have to say about that. The, the, <laughs> the apostles were given the command to proselytize, and those who did not accept their word will be condemned. How is that not proselytism? The Catholic Church has always given the motives of credibility to those who would believe. And why it is a good idea and even necessary to believe in the Catholic faith, because you cannot make a sincere and lasting act of faith unless you see the motives of credibility. That is proselytism. That is to show by miracles and prophecies and other indications the, the continuity of the Catholic Church, etc., etc., that this is the true faith. And when people do come to the true faith, they mention those things. They mention that, yes, they have thought about it, and the, the true faith, is, the Catholic Church has always been consistent in its doctrine, etc. That, that's what they talk about. They don't say, you know, I had a, a religious experience or something like that. They, they do their homework and they figure out what is the true faith. So the, and he's talking about proselytism. Their churches are empty. There's no young people in them. Their seminaries are empty, as I said before. I mean, why don't they try proselytism? It might work. <laughs> they, you know, their, their whole thing has been a failure, a total flop failure. And they're, they're still trying to prop it up as if it's some sort of 125-year-old woman that is somehow going to produce children. You know, the... the the, the Vatican II is an aged, decrepit thing that needs to die, but they, they are still very much attached to it. Well, it, it may be this old, uh, decrepit woman, but it identifies as young and fertile, <laughs> yeah. uh, Your Excellency. <laughs> Never forget, it's part of the new springtime. Yes. Speaking of springtime, those who are new to Francis Watch will not know that at the end of these episodes, I always ask His Excellency, how are things going at the seminary? And he always answers, it's boring as usual. Um, so, you're asked to see, how are things going at the seminary? Well, it has been less boring than usual, I would say. The, uh, the, the move from Florida was terrible in this sense that because the contractors were late in fixing up this building, and I say fixing it up, bringing it up to the codes that are necessary for a building with multiple inhabitants, which were both lengthy and expensive, we had to get out of, we were late in getting out of Florida. We did not get out until October, which is already eating into our uh, academic year. And uh, so we had to get out very fast. So it was something like the Egyptians, the, the Jews or the Hebrews leaving Egypt. It was <laughs> packing up very fast and getting out as soon as we could. Now, we were not pursued by the Pharaoh. And uh, <laughs> that would be Bishop Selwy, I think. But the, <laughs> we were not pursued by them. But nonetheless, it was uh, our move from Michigan to Florida, which was much more orderly. Also, we acquired many other things in those years, particularly books. And we were the beneficiaries of two big book donations recently, right around the same time as the move. 
So right now in our library, I estimate we have about 20,000 books. That's a lot of books to move. My personal library is 3,000 books. So that was a lot to move too. Uh, and uh, of course, all the other things. Uh, we just acquired a lot more in those years from 2005 to 2022 in Florida. That was dis disconcerting, but we're functioning fine now. We, we're getting settled. Uh, still a few loose ends we're tying up uh, as far as the building, but nothing terrible. Uh, and um, we have to take down some big trees. We had a lot of damage. Um, from a, a limb that fell, it, it smashed our outdoor veranda, part of it, and uh, so we had to get that fixed. Uh, we had some high wind here. Uh, this was back about two months ago. We have to take down a number of trees. The trees are very big. They're uh, that's about ten thousand dollars per tree to take those down. So, but they are threatening mm. the building, so I, I can't wait on those. And uh, so there's still a number of things to do, but we're very settled. They were saying mass in Harrisburg and in uh, King of Prussia, which everybody, if you're not from Pennsylvania, <laughs> you think, what is King of Prussia? King of Prussia is a town which is a suburb of Philadelphia, and uh, it is. it sounds very noble, the King of Prussia. <laughs> it is named for a bar that existed in colonial times, which was called the King of Prussia Bar. And so the whole town is named <laughs> for this bar <laughs> in that part. So we say mass there. And uh, uh, so we're, we're branching out. Unfortunately, we uh, miss and, uh, Father Duterte, who had to suddenly go back to France because Father Gapin died early February, I believe it was. He who had been a, an icon of the traditional movement in France in, in the city of Nantes. And uh, he died suddenly, so there was nothing else to do but to send Father Duterte back to his native land. Father de la Chanonie, who was also a, a, an alumnus of this, this seminary, was there, but we couldn't leave him by himself. There was a tremendous amount of work, and I don't like to leave young priests on their own in any case. So we miss him, he, uh, but he teaches still by Zoom. Bishop uh, Fleece teaches by Zoom, so we actually have more people on the faculty than it seems. There's, the, there's four priests right now, and but there's uh, Bishop Fleece and, and Father Duterte also teaching, so um, we're, uh, we're doing well with that. So things are going well, um, but uh, we're still reeling a little bit from the move. <laughs> Well, and I suppose Nantes has now become an invasion point for the Americans and uh, the French back into France and, and into Europe, Your Excellency. Well, it gives our Roman Catholic Institute a, an outpost in Europe. Uh, we already had one in Poland, but La France, as you know, is a very important player in the traditional movement, and I'm happy to see that we are established in France. I don't have to tell you that you're sitting in La France as I speak, right? And and uh, <laughs> yes, this is this yes, is true. you're in the, the La France. It, it is. It's a very important player, and uh, the the French are very uh, very motivated people, and very serious about what they think and believe. And you can see that from the riots recently in France uh, over the the age of retirement. When they don't like something, they make it very plain that they don't like it, and I'm sure you know that. So uh, Chesterton said, if you put up a statue of somebody that the British people didn't like, they would just walk by it and not pay attention to it. Whereas if you did that in France, the statue would be down that afternoon on the ground. 
In other words, they would put ropes around <laughs> yes. it and pull it off. That's the difference between those two peoples. Uh, the the French are very animated and uh, very clear about what they think. And uh, so that uh, works well for the traditional movement because they're, they're, they know what, what is right and what is wrong in many cases. You know, I mean, they're, they're very sensitive about doctrine and, and doing the right thing. So, so France has always been a very important player, uh, you might say, in the traditional movement. And I'm glad to see that we're there. We mentioned earlier in the episode the idea of being destabilized, but I have to imagine you now living some hours from where you were born and raised, you must feel somewhat stabilized yourself, Your Excellency, after many years of exile among the alligators uh, in Florida. Well, I, I have lived in every part of this country. I, I, I grew up in New York City, Queens, to be exact, which is really part of New York City. Then uh, I uh, was in uh, Michigan for a while, then Connecticut for a while, then uh, back to Michigan for a while, then to California for a while, back to Michigan again, and then to Florida and now to Pennsylvania. So I have lived in virtually all the parts of this country and I am just so indifferent as to where I am. I don't care anymore. <laughs> I mean, I don't feel any... Yes, I mean, this is the Northeast. I am used to this climate. I'm used to the, the scenery. I know Pennsylvania very well because I did all of the missions in eastern Pennsylvania when I was a young priest back in 1975 and 76. I used to say Mass in Harrisburg, and, and uh, I said Mass in um, the Philadelphia area and in uh, the Bethlehem area, uh, Williamsport, uh, Hazleton, all of those places. Uh, and uh, so I'm very familiar with Eastern Pennsylvania. So I, I feel right at home, but I'm not affected really by it. I, I've traveled so much in my life, I, I almost don't care where I am. If somebody said, go to France, I said I would say, okay, fine, I'll go to France. Or <laughs> go to England or go to Italy. I wouldn't care, really. Well, and speaking of England, Your Excellency, that was, uh, you know, I was going to say many hours since I've seen you last. Uh, you were in England uh, this last weekend for Easter Sunday, bringing a lot of joy to the faithful there and the potential future there coming, uh, as you say, out of Nantes, uh, potential future for the English mission. Yes, uh, we hope to ordain uh, Aidan Gilchrist, who is originally from New Zealand, but is who is now, who is now a UK citizen, uh, ordain him in uh, June of 2024, which is really not that far off, and send him precisely to Nantes, where he would be with Father de la Chanonie and Father Dutertre, and from there service England. And I say from their service England, he could spend some time in England. He could spend maybe two or three Sundays in England and then go back to France and back and forth that way. I just don't want him to be totally alone. If the English people can pull themselves together and buy a place for them or somehow obtain a place uh, for him to stay during that time that he's in England, he could do sick calls. He could do all sorts of apostolic work that we're not doing now because we're just visiting on Sunday. He could really build up England, I think, quite well. We would also like to buy a church in England. There's a lot of churches for sale in England, former Anglican churches. You know, where do they go for funerals? Where do they go for marriages, etc.? You know, that's all people people think about. I mean, in the sense that they think about all of those things. Uh, a, a mission is not sufficient. It's just the beginning. There has to be a, a place, a permanent place in England, uh, for uh, for growth and, and for establishment. Uh, so I am very committed to England. 
the 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 more obstacles I run into, the more I persevere. It increases my my energy to persevere there. So I haven't lost any kind of uh, intention or any kind of enthusiasm for England. Actually, it any kind of of setback increases my determination to get it done. And uh, setbacks we've had, uh, but. Uh, my determination is the same. We will succeed in England by the grace of God. And uh, but as far as I'm concerned, uh, there's no no relenting. Uh, so, and I was very pleased to see the well, numbers it, that it, we got. We got 52 people, which is the most we've ever had. And I didn't see a single part. Well, very few exceptions. A single person that was from London. When we had the mass in London, there were there was a whole different group of people. Uh, there were just uh, one or two there, I think, that, that were the same. I think uh, you probably know better than I, but these, I was impressed by all of those new people. Also by the many young men, which I also saw in Nantes. When I was in Nantes in January, I did confirmations. I would say half, of, at least half, of the confirmations that I did were young men who came to the Catholic faith from nothing or even atheism, uh, and who discovered the Catholic faith, the traditional faith. And I saw that same phenomenon in, in England, which I think is very, very promising. This is not a something for people my age, but it is something that has value and credibility for people who are young and who are, in many cases, coming from nothing or from heresy in the Anglican Church or, or something like that. Uh, I think you see that in France, too. So... Um, uh, you know, that's, that was very encouraging. I had a, a very uh, happy weekend in England. I was very happy with it. So uh, we'll have to keep going with that. And Father de la Chanoni will yeah. go once every two months to England. That's that's the present uh, regime, if you want. And I was, because Spain has, has requested us too. So in the hiatus that we had in England, Spain said, well, why don't you come down and say mass for us? So for the time being, at least, we'll see how Spain goes. But for the time being, we're giving Spain once every two months. We're giving England once every two months. It's very traditional to be sending priests from France into England, although we don't have to do it secretly anymore, <laughs> <Right>. Your Excellency. <laughs> right. well, uh, they, well, they were English priests, so they studied in France, but then went back to England. These are French priests, you know, so... Uh, who studied in the colonies yes, and then were sent back to France. <laughs> former British colony. And uh, <laughs> former, yes, Pennsylvania, one of the 13 original. So it was both, had the both the, the stain both of being British at one time and then being American. American is, you know, <laughs> the, the French do not have a, you know, a great opinion of America. and But they don't have a great opinion about anybody, really. Uh, but Father Duterte is very worked up about Spain. Now, he studied Spanish for seven years, he said. So uh, he's, uh, he's uh, enthusiastic about Spain. So, and it, it's the first time that Spain has done anything in, in these decades of the traditional movement. It has been effectively silent in these decades of the traditional movement. So I'm glad to see something in Spain. He said the people there are very enthusiastic. Those are all good developments, and uh, I should be getting to Poland this summer, um, and uh, I might visit either England or Spain, uh, England or France, or both on the same trip. So we'll see. 
Well, it's all wonderful to hear. If you'd like to know more about what's going on at the seminary, you can go to mhtseminary.org. If you'd like to, as I say, catch up, binge on previous Francis Watches, you can go to franciswatch.org. We want to once again thank the Australian Catholic Mission, who generously sponsored this episode. Please keep them in your prayers. And uh, we want to thank His Excellency for his time. Uh, he used to do this very regularly, drug him out of retirement, you could say. He hasn't done it for a couple years, and gave very generously of his time today to comment on the, the bile of Bergoglio. And we thank him for his strong digestive ability to make it through and to give us the true Catholic teaching. Your Excellency, as always, thank you for your time. Just one last thing. I have not retired. <laughs> you didn't pull me out of retirement. Oh, re- 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 retired from Francis Watch. Well, we yes. we semi retirement, you can say. Also, <laughs> add one other thing, too. Father Dutertra has done a masterful job on explaining the thesis. Uh, he has done incredible research in very, very difficult places to find. Uh, with he, His work is replete with quotations from theologians. Uh, and it's all up on our internet site, mostlytrinityseminary.org. So if anybody's interested in reading about that, uh, it is very objective. It doesn't say anything nasty about anybody. It's just objective theology. And uh, I think that it would be very enlightening at least to understand what we're saying, if not to agree with it, but at least to understand it. So I, I would recommend that. And also he has uh, on the same site will be a series on Vatican II, The Errors of Vatican II, which is also masterful. And uh, things that I learned that I never knew before. Uh, So I I would recommend that very much too. So if you go to the website and you click on the articles tab, uh, listeners, you'll be able to to read through some of those texts. Thank you for that recommendation, Your Excellency. And uh, we can't promise that we'll have another Francis Watch anytime soon. This was a a one-off request. But uh, it, you can count on His Excellency and I to return if uh, uh, another big document is released or there's even more heresy for us to deal with. But please just treat this as what it is, a special edition one-off, and we will see you in the future if uh, God permits. Thank you, Your Excellency. All right. Thank you. Thank you.